Hello and welcome to Women Rise, a podcast where we explore what it means to lead today as a woman, as an architect of change in a world in transition. I'm your host, Claire Molina, and I live and work on the island of Corsica in the south of France. I'm a coach, a psychotherapist, a mother, and a community lover. I teach, coach, and facilitate developmental programs for conscious women changemakers, helping them step into a new paradigm of leadership that emerges from awakening as their unique selves. My guest today is Marianne Amadieu. Marianne is French. She is based in Beirut, Lebanon, and she works as a leader in a major international organization. She holds a humanitarian mandate and currently working to the response to the Syrian crisis. Marianne, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here and thank you for being willing to be a guest in this podcast. I'm honored and delighted to have you. Thank you, Claire. Happy to be here. Marianne, I'm interested to know how you, as a woman, working in such a big international organization, knowing your sensitivity and your capacity to access the inner world. I've known you for many years, and I know that you have a certain angle, perspective, that you're trying to bring into your work. And I'm most interested to know, how do you straddle the inner world that you've been awakening to for many years now, and this other world in your everyday work. So please tell us more about how you navigate these two worlds. Well, that's a very big question. Actually, it's baby steps first, because you say it's an awakening, as you said, and it takes a lot of time to actually realize who you are and let go of what you think you should be. So for me, I think all my career choices were actually not going in the sense of this awakening. I think I was trying to fit into something and it was, I was almost hurting myself trying to fit to those big organizations, to this, this, you know, this ideal that I have of that I had of the international relations world and the humanitarian world and the world through the United Nations, etc. So it was always something that I wanted to do, but I thought I would not fit. So first, that's important to note because it's not like um, something that I was necessarily already accepting. But indeed, slowly but surely, I realized that I was not necessarily fitting so well into those big structures that are extremely rigid, and especially the humanitarian world. I mean, I've been working in international relations for a while now, and before taking up this mandate in Lebanon, I was working in, in political affairs, and it's, it's, it's another world. But the humanitarian world is particularly rigid and particularly masculine and if we want to you know to put a word on it and definitely i 
I wanted to belong. So I wanted to probably tone down the feminine part of me and, and this sensitivity that I had to sort of fit into that, that organization. But of course, very rapidly, I realized that it was not working. <laughs> That it was making me feel tired, stressed, sad, and that I had to actually probably accept more of who I am. And this I done through, you know, through working with you, through through coaching, through meeting with other women, struggling with the same issues, and just trying to find a balance in between who I am and how I can serve this organization better. So basically, it's more an acceptation of that first. It's it's taking time, and sometimes I still have the old patterns coming back. You know, I'm in a meeting and I want to be like the tough one and, and not show that part of me too much. But other, other days I try to let go. And when I do that, I simply realize that it works better for me. It works better for my colleagues. It works better for the things that I have to do. So I just have to be more confident and bring more trust in that along the way. So I'm here. I mean, it's, I find it's a constant struggle or at least a constant search for balance and it's not every day the same, and it's not every day easy. I am smiling because it seems like you've said it all in such <laughs> <laughs> It sounds easy. And of course, we know that you just said it, it's a constant struggle, so you don't totally make it sound easy. But it's years and years of mm. of practice and and trusting yourself and knowing that there is a thread of softness and and truth and goodness that you've been holding on to mm-hmm. in in moving through this big rigid structure and i know a little bit about it because i've been part of your support team over the mm-hmm. um So it takes tenacity and some sort of faith. Yes, absolutely. A bit more about what does it take to keep holding on to this tiny thread? First of all, as I said, I think it's baby steps. You know, when you try to let go and you are more true to yourself, then you realize in meetings, in interactions with people that suddenly things flow better and it works better. So by practicing that and by, you know, witnessing that it's actually positive, that it has a positive impact, you're inclined to try more. So that's that's probably a first thing. Then it's really, it was really about coming to realize that this, this particular organization I'm working with, most people that are working there did their entire career there. So they have a DNA, like they really have a particular DNA. They have a particular way of working and they, they love their mandate and their work to the core, but to a point that sometimes it hurts, you know, I mean, humanitarian works is, is, is really hard. And you have to keep in mind that the, the people that I meet on a daily basis, they, they move from one country to another every four years. They've been to extremely difficult places around the world. They live through very difficult crises. So when I, when I joined this organization, I was already an adult and I was, and I did, I did not have this experience of, you know, roughness and, I, I lived a few things myself uh, during my mandate in Lebanon, and I can only imagine what it's like to have 
you know, to have worked in Afghanistan, in Kosovo, in all of the, you know, the most terrifying and 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 conflicts around the world. So I had to accept that I was not that person and that I could still be a good uh, added value to that organization. And this is probably because I have this positivity, this uh, this sensitivity, this more feminine approach to thing, and I can listen to my colleagues and I can be very much inclined to understand what they've been through, how they work, why they work like that. So I have a profound respect for who they are, what they've been through. And sometimes I'm just, I'm just like, okay, you will never be that core humanitarian person. My work is actually in external relations. So what I do is I try to bring attention to the crisis we're working on. So I try to bring fund. I try to bring, you know, political attention. So I'm not the core humanitarian frontliner, but I came to realize that I could be a strong ally for these people. I can be there for them. I can support them. I can be, you know, navigating around and and try to to be a, a support system for them too. And it's through little things, you know, it's through the supports that I provide them, trying to understand what they do and explain that to external audiences. That's that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. But it's also in trying to, you know, in simple things, in meetings, in interactions, bring who I am and 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 bring my personality to the table without trying to be that that strong core humanitarian field worker that I'm that I'm not, you know. So it's baby steps, it's it's in little things, and it's through accepting and trusting that the way you are can actually be an asset. And and I witnessed that like in very simple things. I, I really do believe that colleagues like to work with me because I'm a I'm flexible, I'm an easygoing person, I'm very attentive to what they say, I'm a listener. And I think they value that. And I think it works well because I bring that that particular aspects of, of my personality to the table. If we were all the same, and believe me, it's 90% of the same profiles. So if we were all the same, I think it would be working less well in a way. So I just trust that and I try to keep going with that trust. And also to complement on that, I think it's also a question of generations. I mean, I really see from my younger colleagues a clear shift in the way we work. And I'm very confident that it's also moving. It's it's also changing even through this, even within those big, big organizations that are quite big systems to move. I see through the new generation that it's going to change big time. And, and it's it's actually also very promising. I mean, for me, it's it's a relief. And I and I also rely a lot on the on the younger staff that I have to work with because I sense they have the the same sensitivity in a way. When you say the core humanitarian, what is their behavior that you're comparing to your own? Let's start here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, I mean, I, I don't want to, to, to do a caricature of, you know, of this, these people, because I think of course there are many and, and there are many profiles, but what I see is that these are people who have to, shut down a bit the emotions part of them because it's very overwhelming what we what we go through what we see and what they saw on the field on the day-to-day basis especially for the frontliner staff right so in a way you know the humanitarian motto is stay and deliver 
And it says it all. I mean, you, you see things affecting people's life and you have to be there and to be strong enough to continue to support them and not to fall apart. And I think it's a very common human reaction that when you want to hold on to, you know, you don't want to fall apart. Basically, you want to be ready and you want to be capable to continue to deliver and be there and work. It's, it's a tremendous amount of work. It's a lot, The workload is very, very important. And that I think we should emphasize on that. So to be able to go through that and to continue to deliver, you have to, to be very focused and you have to shut down on some emotions, I guess. And it's it's... It's what people do. Um, so the profiles that I see here are people that, as I said, did that their entire career. So things that are hard to describe and, and still they continue to deliver. So there is a profound trust in what they do, I find, and a, and a patient. But at the same time, the amount of empathy that they put for the person they serve is absolutely not the same that they put into their work environment and the direct relationship they have with their peers or the supervisor or the supervisees. And that is very surprising. So you will see people that are in total empathy with the cause, but are very tough on a day-to-day basis in the way they manage people and work. So it's, it's, it's an interesting um, contradiction to, to deal with. And it makes sense on an emotional level, right? On a human level, it's impossible to keep your heart fully open when you have to take in so much. Absolutely. I think it's shifting very slowly. I think, but as as many big, big organizations, for now, I feel we are still in in the transition phase where we, we see the issue, we propose solution, I can, I mean, you, you should see the number of policies, resources that are there to help you through the staff welfare, mental health for staff. I mean, it's really something that is, everyone is focusing on that, but we're still shifting. So it's still policies to me. You know what I mean? It's still paperwork. <laughs> it needs to be translated in the real life of the, of the humanitarian workers. Exactly. And this is where I think, women like you are key elements of that transition Mm. you're talking to and and the way that you described yourself is as a bridge right you come from a different world you bring your feminine sensitivity and gentle way of leading um, which is new in this world and you have this role actually of acting as a bridge so the policies are already on paper but Mm -hmm. how bring them in everyday life right? And it's not that this core profile, we're caricaturizing a little bit, but it's not that type of profile that is going to be able to do this work. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Women like you, women and men, of course, that carry that new way of being. So it's really that transition and human bridges that are... Absolutely. And there is once again, a question of generation there. Ask you. T- tell me more about this young people that you see. Or- I think uh, for me, um, I've witnessed a lot of women uh, from a certain age, so you know, forty plus, that have made like 
tremendous sacrifices to be leaders in these organizations. And now, more and more, you see young women who just don't want to go there or want to do differently, are not ready to do the same sacrifices, even though they are also very committed to the cause. You know, it's not like they are less committed or less involved. It's just that they see the world differently now. And the young generation I find is really a model for me. I'm, I'm sort of in between. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be 40 this summer and I feel I'm sort of in between. We figured out a lot of things, but the younger generation is implementing them in a way. And they are great role models in terms of inclusion. And it's not only for gender, it's for everything. And, and they are not ready to surrender to the good old stay and deliver, no matter what, no matter your mental health, no matter what your children feel like when you work too much, no matter what's the, the impact on your work-life balance, your family life, et cetera, and so on and so forth. So I think they are more inclined to implement those things. We were, we were touching upon them and we were bringing them to the table, but I feel it will be more and more um, concrete with the new generation. So you, met, you just mentioned them, but can you repeat again the sacrifices? Mm. But that means, you know, when you have such careers where you have to move every four years, where you have to go, first of all, I must say, when you are in the humanitarian world, and that is very specific to the humanitarian world, a lot of a crisis you serve are non-family duty station, as we call them in the system. So you cannot bring your family with you. Uh, simple as that. Uh, so if you work in Afghanistan, for instance, you, you work, you're on your own. And if you have a family, they will be in the capital and you will see them every two months or depending on the system of your heart of R&R, like the, the vacation that the organization gives you so you can see your family from time to time. So that this doesn't work. You just end up not having a family, I imagine. Exactly. Well, exactly my point. So it's either, I mean, if you are a core humanitarian and really what you want to do is this it's either you have an arrangement with your family we see that so you have your husband who is taking care of the kids and lives in the capital or in a country nearby and you uh, are alone in your duty station sometimes you live in a compound with military around you and so of course in this context a lot of women just didn't take the time to build their families or and they just made other choices that's one and i'm i'm talking about women because i'm a woman but it's the same choices for men actually it's just a tiny bit easier for men so you have all the women who have raised their family life. You have people who have had arrangements with their families, but that also impacted deeply their relationships. It impacts your relationship with your family, with the friends that you make, because, of course, you move all the time. So, you know, all these questions that expats have, but with a tiny bit more issues due to the fact that sometimes you are in non-family duty stations. Then you have the family duty stations, such as Lebanon. Lebanon is a family duty station. You come with your family, st 
still the workload is extremely important. So it, it still impacts your family life. Let's not kid ourselves. And then, you know, Lebanon has been going through a very, very deep crisis itself. So you come, you come and you start working for a family duty station and you think it's going to be living in the Mediterranean for four years. And it ends up that you go through the Beirut blast, you go through a pandemic, a COVID pandemic and all the impacts that it has and everything. So it, it's tough, I think, on the personal life, definitely. And you have to, to find your balance. And I think we and the new generation even more are better in doing that than the old generation, frankly. And But the thing is that the, the generation who made the most sacrifices are now the leaders or these organizations. And you will feel the sacrifices that they made. And I think for them, it's also a struggle to adapt to the new generation because in a way, there will always be a voice within them which says, I sacrificed these people, they want it all. It's not like that. They need to stay and deliver. They need to be ready. So there is this little, you yeah. know, exactly. And and I think it's it's some things where I can really support, I can really help, and I can be that bridge maybe more than the new generation that is frankly much more direct than we are. <laughs> and maybe I can help them make their points in a way that will be more efficient so that this old generation is not feeling threatened or, or you know, but accepts the arguments and just accept dialogue because there is a clear shift and there is a clear, you know, gap between those two generations. And again, you're straddling these two worlds, right? So how did you navigate the tension between sacrifice and coming against the structures? I mean, for me, I would say it's quite easy in the sense that, once again, I'm not living in a country or I'm not working for an operation that that is so hard on me that I had to, you know, step back. I feel like I found a good balance here for myself, at least, and for my family life and so on and so forth. I'm not saying it's all the time easy, but on average, I feel I find the right balance. So what I do... For instance, I mean, I, I'm, I try to work in countries where I know I can live happily with my family, even if there are some struggles and incidents, of course, but that can mainly be somewhere where everyone can be happy. That's the first thing. And then in my career, yes, yeah, sorry. The information you have, you're, you're raising two sons. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have two boys. One was born in Haiti and my second boy was born here in Lebanon. And uh, my main objective, if you want, is that everyone can find some uh, happiness and joy in the place we live. So I know they've been through a lot because Lebanon has been through a lot in the past years, but I also know that they are profoundly happy here. It's a place where they are happy. So it's it's okay for me to be here. And when it will not be okay anymore, I will move. You know, it's my priority. That's first. Are you're 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 putting some lines in the absolutely, sand. absolutely. So that's absolutely right. You you have clear boundaries to what what is possible and what is not. 
Absolutely. I know that I will not go on an emergency mission right now because I want to be with my kids that are too young for me to do that. Maybe when they will be a bit older, I will do an emergency mission. So that means living for three months in a country that really needs a particular support for a short amount of time during a time of crisis. Right now, I know I won't be doing that. It's too, my, my, my kids are too young. Um, I'm, I'm looking at countries for my next mandate, for instance, that will, that will bring the same things for my family. I need everyone to be feeling well and happy and to be able to, to grow. And also in the choices of my career. I mean, once again, I'm not a frontliner. I do external relations because I know it's my strength. I mean, I, I, I could try to fight against my nature and be delivering, you know, on the field, but I know that I'm better at advocacy, at communication, at bringing the stories of the people that we serve. So it's it's also it's also in the choices of the career within the organization. I mean, those big organizations, they are not one big block. You can do a lot of things within them. And you can probably, through that thinking, bring your own strength to, to the field that you want to serve. So when I when I joined this organization, I wanted to, I had this idea of, you know, the, the core humanitarian protection work, but it's not who I am. And this organization is filled with people that are, that are like that. So I just, I just thought, you know, maybe I, I need to try to find my niche <laughs> and be good at what I do within an organization that I really respect deeply and that I really love the mandate, you know? Yeah, this is so good. You know, that you acknowledge that by going with your nature, by trusting in a way, your gifts and trusting that you're enough that mm. you don't fit in in a certain in a certain way or to be like 90% of the others and but really trusting your own nature and surrendering more deeply to that has allowed you to actually tap into your strength and be of real added value in your organization even though you don't fit the mold and because you don't fit them all. Absolutely. And and to be frank, it's not always easy. And the old patterns are never far. So indeed, it's through practice. It's through trust, but it's also through having your support system in place so that you can tap into when you're in doubt. <laughs> that's very important. Share a little bit about So how. Yeah, that's very important. So first of all, I feel very lucky because for the first time of my life, I feel I have a tremendous support system and it's my, my friendships, mainly with women, mainly with women who feel the same way I do within the organization or not, but uh, friends that are living a bit the same thing. It goes through my yoga practice and more than that, my yoga fellow practitioners who really became friends and a big piece of my support system today. My family, because I'm lucky enough to have a family who's really inclined to these questionings and, and really helping me myself. So I'm, I'm very lucky because I have that through my sisters and my parents, uh, but also through you, the work that we did through coaching and also through the group of women that I, I, I participated 
thanks to you, that has been really a big shift, uh, I feel, in my life. So it's really to trust that you have the resources and the person that can help you. It's more of a confirmation that you're on the right path and that it's fine that it's not always the case, that you have days where you just went to your old pattern and that it's perfectly fine. The day after, you can still decide to go back to where it feels better. So it's it's just this. It's just your the support system is key, I guess. And now more and more, I tend to do that within the organization. I mean, this is something I really want to put time into. So I I see, I feel the people that are feeling alike and I attract them <laughs> and I'm trying to build that support system within the organization. And that's very slow, but that is, I think, taking shape. So well said. Um, what you're describing is this consciousness that is arising of we're not just individuals, we are a field. And you're absolutely you've talked to it many times in this conversation. But what I'm hearing again is that you have that superpower, which is part of what we're awakening to, which is to tap into the collective and to sense what can grow, what is wanting to grow towards this shift. Mm -hmm. This way, you have that intelligence that there is a part of you that is midwifing this new way of being as a collective intelligence. So thank you so much for speaking to all that. Is there anything else you want to add? You, you were going to say something. No, no. I was about to say that when you when you put that energy into your day-to-day life, especially at work within those organizations, it changes everything because on a day-to-day basis, you will have the smile you need with your colleague, the coffee break you need with the person that will uh, support you. And it it changes everything to have those little things on a day-to-day basis because what's really hard is to keep going, you know, and to find the continuity in, in, in this thinking and this behavior. So when you have these little things and when you have these little supports through the day, it just helps you go through everything, basically. So, um well said again, because what, what I'm hearing is that you're just not so separate, right? When you are in this motion, in this interconnectedness with others, you have the smile, you have, you're just not that um, stuck in, in your own. Absolutely. Right? And, and so there is a fluidity, there is an awareness that's not there otherwise, and it's more alive. There is more joy, probably. Exactly. More joy. I was about to say it. It changes everything. Well, it's a good way to stop unless there's something else that you want to add. But um, I think we touched on a lot of important points that can be inspiring for other women who are in the in similar world. So thank you so much for being such an inspiration. Thank you, Claire. It's a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Women Rise. I would love it if you'd leave us a review. And if you enjoyed the show today, also please subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss an episode. Thanks again and see you in two weeks.